0: In our uh, kitchen window, hanging from a thread, we, we have a prism, and it was given to me by a cousin long ago. She's no longer with us, and I, and I love that prism. It reminds me of her, but it also spreads a variety of colors around the kitchen when the morning sun hits it. And as I watch the colors dance around the kitchen, I'm reminded of the various facets of God, if you will, creator, forgiver, helper, guide, challenger, leader, awe-inspire, lover, and, and so many more. And as we journey through life, it's clear that each of us needs something different from God from moment to moment. Sometimes what we need is comfort, because we're in a, a poignant time of, of loss, confusion, despair, or sadness. Other times we need God's encouragement and, and strength and During other passages, what we need is for God to challenge us and and move us out of complacency or or too much self-certainty. But at its core, I believe God seeks not only to love us, but to fundamentally transform who we are and how we show up in the world. And on this point, I love what the writer Annie Dillard once said. She says about church and Christians, does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are like children playing on the floor with chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT. It's madness to wear hats, <clears throat> We should all be wearing crash helmets. And I believe what she's trying to convey is that that a lot of our faith really has a lot to do with engaging with a loving yet powerful God who sometimes wants us to embrace truths and ways of looking at things that are anything but easy on the surface. To remember that much of what Jesus had to say is challenging. Countercultural, against societal norms and moves us into spaces that are not always comfy. One aspect of our faith where this comes to the surface is when we get into issues of God's grace. Now, while I never preach the same sermon twice, this morning I do want to use a brief illustration that highlights and gets at our gospel story. So the story is one I've used before in the past, but I think it's very relevant now, not only for our gospel story, but I think it's relevant because the United States right now is in a terrible place with regard to race relations, especially as I listen to my clergy colleagues who are people of color, and they tell me how disastrous things are. But anyway, that said, here is the story. Mississippi, as we know, lies in the Deep South, and it was at the heart of the Civil Rights Movement. It's a place where humidity is high and prejudice is as thick as clouds of mosquitoes. Mississippi, like many parts of our country, was and is a place where it's not easy to be black. Well, a Southern preacher by the name of Will Campbell grew up in Mississippi. Fortunately, I had the opportunity decades ago to meet Will and to hear him preach while I was in seminary in Tennessee. Well, in the 1960s, Will had a hard time accepting that schools were segregated. He even had a harder time accepting that churches were segregated. He organized voter registration drives and, and peaceful protests. And Will developed quite a name for himself, and because of his reputation, the press became interested in him And one day, a reporter by the name of P.D. East approached Will Campbell and asked, Mr. Campbell, you are a Christian. Can you tell me in 10 words or less what Christianity is all about? And you may have heard this before, and if you have, it's worth keeping front and center of your mind because I love how Will defined Christianity. Will said, well, let me think. But sure, Christianity, it's about the fact we're all scoundrels, and Jesus loves us anyway. I love that. Will Campbell defined the gospel that day. He said, Jesus loves us anyway. Nice to hear, isn't it, until we get into what it really means? Will Campbell would learn firsthand that it's not easy to accept that Jesus loves us anyway, because when it comes to grace, God doesn't use the word if. He would soon learn that the gospel of Jesus is profoundly radical and that challenges us to learn to see ourselves and other people in ways that are hard and not easy. In March of 65, Dr. King asked students and others to join him in Selma, Alabama, for a civil rights march. And A young man by the name of Jonathan Daniels responded to Dr. King's call. Jonathan was born in Keene, New Hampshire. He was valedictorian of his college class. During one Easter service in Boston, he had a conversion experience and so enrolled at Episcopal Seminary. Well, it was during his time in seminary that Jonathan headed to Selma, Alabama to march with Dr. King. And it was then that a southern preacher befriended him by the name of Will Campbell. Will and Jonathan became fast friends. Bonded by a zeal for Jesus and by a passion to overcome racism and segregation. One day, Jonathan was picketing white owned stores that refused to serve blacks, and Jonathan was arrested. And after he was released from jail, Jonathan walked to a small grocery store to arrange for a ride somewhere. And suddenly, a racist sheriff by the name of Tom Coleman appeared the deputy saw Jonathan sitting outside the store along with a Roman Catholic priest and two black men. And as Jonathan sat outside the store drinking a soft drink, the deputy, Tom Coleman, opened fire with a shotgun and killed Jonathan instantly. Well, soon after Jonathan's murder, the reporter, P.D. East, who had once asked Will Campbell Camel, to define what Christianity is all about, approached Will once again he said, Mr. Campbell, I have some questions. You once said that the message of Christianity is is that we're all scoundrels and Jesus loves us anyway. That's right, Will said. Well, was your friend Jonathan a scoundrel? Well, if you mean was he a sinner and Jesus loved him anyway, yeah, of course. The reporter then asked, well, is is the sheriff Tom Coleman who killed Jonathan a scoundrel? Will responded, yes, of course, he's more than a scoundrel. He's a terrible sinner. The reporter then asked Mr. Campbell, well, between your friend Jonathan and the deputy, who does Jesus love more? Who does Jesus love more? Will Campbell, when I heard him tell this story, he described, he laughed, he cried, he laughed, he cried, he he railed. And then he yelled out to the reporter, the idea that a man can go to a store where a group of human beings are drinking soda pop, kill one of them with a shotgun blast, and that God would love that man is more than I can understand. But unless that is precisely the case, there is no gospel of Jesus Christ, and there is no good news. Unless that is the truth, we have only bad news because we are back to trying to earn God's love, and we're left with a God who says to you and to me, I will love you only if. A quick caveat. God's grace does not mean we're not to seek justice. God's grace does not mean there should not be consequences for actions. God's grace does not mean anything goes, far from it. But God's grace does mean that Jesus loves us anyway, regardless, and hence our reading today. Feel the heat turning up a little bit? This is a reading, when you hear it, makes you want to yell out, well, for God's sakes, that's not fair. Exactly. Exactly. And the Gospel, Jesus tells us the story of a business manager who goes out to hire workers for a vineyard. The manager finds people who are willing to work early in the morning. I'll pay you a full day's wage. Great, they say, and they go to work. About mid-morning, the manager finds some more people standing around. I'll pay you a fair wage to work. Great, they say, and they go to work. At noon, the manager finds more people, offers them a fair wage. Great, we'll go to work. At 3 and 5 in the afternoon, the manager does the same thing, and they all agree to work for a fair wage. At the end of the day, the manager calls them all together to pay him. He calls those whom he hired at the end of the day first. He pays them a full day's wage. They work for less than an hour. Well, the rest of the workers are thrilled. They got paid that much, think how much more we're going to get. They can't believe the generosity of the manager. They jump for joy. Immediately the people hired at 3 and noon and 9 a.m. and first thing in the morning discover they're all paid exactly the same amount from the manager. Everyone says, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. That, That is not fair. That's not the way that our culture and society works That's not fair. We work more hours than those others, and we're getting paid the same. It's not fair. Precisely. The manager says, look, I paid you a fair wage. You were all paid the same. Are you jealous? Are you stingy, because I'm generous with all people? Well, this parable is about a lot of things. It's a great example and reflection. Of God's grace, and the love of God that is the love of God that is at the heart of God's grace. You see, grace is not something that is doled out based on what we do or don't do, like it or not. Grace is not based on fairness. Never was, never will be. Grace is not about fairness. Because God's love by our human standards is not fair. Because God loves unconditionally. We don't have a God who loves us only if we are good people. A God who forgives us only if we live sinless lives. A God who accepts us only if we follow each and every rule. And by telling this story, Jesus is asking you and asking me To take the radical, uncomfortable, upending, infuriating step of really embracing the truth that we have a God that loves us anyway and all that that means. Jesus is asking us to allow ourselves to be washed over by the love of a risen Lord who never thinks of using the word if when it comes to loving you and loving me. And this is not easy but because this truth applies to everyone that gets us stressed out and angry and ticked off and out of sorts in the United States of America today. Right-wing Republicans, left-wing progressive Democrats, you're all scoundrels and Jesus loves you anyway. Climate change deniers, Climate change activists, you're all scoundrels. We're all scoundrels, and Jesus loves us anyway. Conspiracy theorists, and those who never think in such terms, we're all scoundrels, and Jesus loves us anyway. People who can't distinguish telling the truth from a shoestring, we're all scoundrels, and Jesus loves us anyway. People who don't see the colors of others' skin, And those, and there's so many in our country today, all they can see is skin color. We're all scoundrels, and Jesus loves us anyway. And if this is not the gospel, if this is not the truth about the love of God, then there is no way I, Robert, can know if God loves me because I am one hell of a scoundrel. But the gospel says Jesus loves me and loves you anyway regardless, no matter what. So if we had to earn God's love, how many mistakes can we make before we lose it? How much money do we need to give away? How many pages of Leviticus do we need to get right? What's the standard? What's the measuring stick? How much is good enough? How much can we sin? But Jesus says we can't earn it. We don't have to. So receive it and live it. We're all scoundrels, and Jesus loves us anyway, and that is the message of Jesus on the cross. That's what the cross is about. With this in mind, if we embrace and accept this, if we can take in the profound love of God, if we can learn to see ourselves through God's love, if we come to heal because of this love, if we allow our lives to be infused and informed by such love that's not fair, it changes everything, including how we respond, treat, and act toward all the scoundrels in our lives. Because gosh darn it, they're loved just like we are. And it's because of God's grace that our behavior, our actions, and our thoughts matter. It's because of grace that we fundamentally understand that not anything goes and that actions matter and that not all actions we take or thoughts we have are okay. It's a response to grace. It's not to get the grace. We are to act and think in loving ways not because we need to earn God's love but because precisely we don't. That is the heart of the gospel. We love and act with integrity, honesty, and courage because we are loved freely. This is the message that America needs to hear today, not partisan BS. The apoplectic hatred and division and anger makes me want to throw up because it is the complete antithesis of Jesus Christ. the complete breakdown across party lines of decency, selfless service, respect, civility, and telling the truth for God's sakes, and much more reflect a nation that does not take God's grace seriously. Living by the unfairness of God's grace is what our country and we need. That is how we heal America. By accepting and living out This totally unfair message of the gospel that we're all scoundrels and Jesus loves us anyway. I'm almost done. The writer Sandra McCracken writes While we have reasonable reasons to divide, we have more reasons to come together humbly. We aim our judgment towards someone else's dark heart, even as we hope no one notices the same shadows within ours. Grace isn't fair, precisely. Our Christian story isn't fair, precisely. When it comes to the love of God, it's not fair, exactly. And so when it comes to love and loving others, let's follow Jesus' love And not only love those who are upstanding, but especially those that aren't. And let us spend a few moments in prayer.